Welcome to the Coach's Edge podcast dedicated to teaching, sharing, and learning the game. Brought to you by CoachesEdge.coach. I'm your host, Steve Kramer. Thank you for joining us today as we dive into program building, program development with Jeremy Schiller, head regional coach at IMG Academy. And in this episode, we touch on parent communication, we touch on fundraising, community involvement, lessons that he's learned over the years. He's got experience as a college coach, a high school coach, an assistant coach, head coach in various different locations. And Coach Schiller was a great guest on this podcast as he really talks about how character and how consistent communication help us create a standard and levels of expectations that we can work with our coaches, our parents, and our players on as we continue to build a strong program, not just for a year or two, but for years and years to come. So thank you to Coach Schiller for taking the time to be on the show. If you find this beneficial, please leave a positive rating and a review. Uh, that goes a really long way and share it out with someone else who you think may be helpful as well. Thanks again to Coach Schiller. Let's get to the show. And we are live. Can't wait for this episode. It's been a long time coming. IMG Academy, Jeremy Schiller on the podcast as we dig into program development, program building. Coach, thanks for taking the time to be on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to you know, have this opportunity. Um, obviously, listen to your podcast a number of times and just hopefully I can help uh, some coaches with some ideas and, you know, potentially hopefully start some dialogue uh, after you post it where maybe we get some ideas back on on these, uh, you know, on culture and other things. Absolutely. Uh, love it. Something you're passionate about. I'm passionate about. Uh, before we dive into it, uh, tell our listeners, we have listeners around the country, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and some of your experiences. Sure. Yeah, I've been uh, 22 years. This is my 22nd year uh, coaching uh, basketball, both in high school and college. Um, in college, I've been a Division II assistant at Eckerd College in St. Pete, uh, St. Petersburg, Florida. I was a graduate assistant at, at USF uh, for one year with Robert McCullum. Uh, then I, uh, the longest tenure time I've been a, a head coach was at Lakewood Ranch High School most recently for the last 10 years. And then in August, uh, I got hired at IMG to coach our regional team, um, which is just below our, our national team, which is obviously one of the top five you know, teams in the country, high school teams. So for those that aren't familiar with uh, IMG and, and the different teams that they have, can you explain that? Yeah, sure. So uh, IMG, the simplest way to look at it is we're the, the number one team. Uh, sports boarding school in the world uh we have kids from all over the literally all over the entire globe um and then when you look at it, there's there's 15 total teams in our program uh varsity basketball program you have the national team which is the one that gets the majority of the exposure the ones that you see in the nbic and you know um you know top five nationally uh then you have our team which is the regional team uh we have you know a number of high level division one guys um and then we have multiple other varsity levels, you know, below that. We have three other varsity teams. You know, our team uh, get a little bit of publicity because we actually have a seven foot five sophomore who's the tallest teenager in the world. So, uh, you know, definitely those types of players, you know, six foot 11 division one player, um, you know, a, a non-traditional, you know, high school experience. And we have a kid from Japan and a kid from Canada and, you know, kids from Michigan. And it's just a, uh, 
it's a really neat opportunity having been at only traditional high schools to be at a non-traditional high school and you know have an opportunity to do that. They certainly bring uh, a lot of talent together and again just kind of a small world shout out to Grace Van Sloot who was just selected as McDonald's All-American plays on the women's team for IMG Academy uh, pretty cool. Um, so coach you got all these experiences right now you're at, at IMG working with with players from really all over the world. Tell us some of the biggest lessons that you've learned over the years regarding developing a program. Yeah, I, I think I think the biggest thing is trying to figure out and standing by and being consistent with the things that you believe in. Um, you know, I think that's number one. You know, I heard a quote. I'm going to probably mess it up, but it was from John Wooden, and it it was a poem they used to have that it's not all the books on all the shelves; it's who the the teachers are themselves. And I think that I've always kind of taken that to heart. Like, I think my character has to be aligned with what I'd like our program to be. You know, I've got to be a hard worker. I have to kind of establish that culture through my actions first. Um, you know, and then I think kind of the, the big things when you're looking at creating culture is recognizing and understanding and kind of surveying your strengths, your weaknesses, your opportunities, um, and then trying to figure out a plan that fits that related to your dynamic, meaning like, my plan when we were at Lakewood Ranch at a traditional high school that's zoned that has no choice is very different than coming into a program like IMG and establishing a culture where I don't have my players till September 20th and they may only be with us for a year. You know, where at a traditional high school, your plan's different because you're dealing with, you know, funneling, you know, uh, middle school kids all the way up. And, you know, so it's just I think the keys, though, are and, and probably the largest key is just being, you know, the 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 leadership has to be consistent. The culture has to be consistently established. And that's only done by, you know, as the coach consistently meeting those standards, uh, no matter how tough they are. Starting with the, the coach, no, no doubt about it. Um, as you think about program building as a whole, and, and you don't, you can look specifically at some of the programs you've been a part of, or just things in, you know, the general public, are there any specific mistakes that you've seen regarding program building that you know you'd like to tell other coaches hey this is something you know, you can, you can kind of steer away from or something that you, know, you can guide coaches towards a better option compared to what the majority of coaches or what coaches might find as the quick way to find some success I think the the biggest thing when I meet with new coaches and I try to help you know coaches in our area other areas the, the thing I try to explain is you're building a culture and a program for 30 years, not one. So what you don't want to do is bend on what your standards are and your expectations so you can keep some kid happy or, or some player happy or parent happy that doesn't fit in. Uh, it doesn't mean you eliminate anyone. I think the idea is you want to try to give everyone every opportunity to be successful. But if you make those sacrifices early on in your program building, that becomes what you're accepting, which means that's what's going to happen. Um, and, and, you know, for me, when I've taken over programs, I feel like the number one thing is we establish and communicate our standards. And then we all have to meet them, myself, the players. Um, and if they don't, often I think we get distracted by talent. Uh, or a parent that maybe is has a little more pull at certain schools and you've got to be strong enough in your conviction to, uh, you know, put the culture in the program first. And I think that's really challenging sometimes, but I, I think it's the only way you can really build a, a sustainable program. You know, having a team is winning for one year. 
to me, having a sustainable program is those kids having a great experience and, and having success year after year after year and there being, you know, a solid foundation. I think there's a big difference in the lose You don't want to lose sight in your team uh, when you're trying to build a, you know, build a program. How do you go about, you said it starts with the coach first, right? And how you represent yourself, how you carry yourself, how you work. How do you start to establish that to the players, the parents, the community? I think the number one thing is communication. So that you just hit on three very different types of pillars of communication, right? So, um, you know, first thing is you want to make sure that you communicate and touch base and connect with the players. I think the next tier that we miss out on is people often get burned by parents. Uh, so we kind of try to separate. The reality is as a high school coach, even a college coach, that's your life lifeline. Most of the time, the reason kids transfer or leave is because there's, there's, there's a breakdown in communication in one of those stages. Um, so I think it's important to get the players on the same page and make sure you're clear in your expectations and you're consistent. And I think your standards have to be related to uh, character and that things that are controllable and not talent. You know, I often tell our guys, like, our expectations aren't dictated by your ability to dunk. Like, everybody can show up on time. Everybody can work hard. That allows everyone to be a part of that culture. I think the next tier is making sure that you communicate directly and clearly with parents. Um, I think most of the time why you lose a parent is a lack of a plan or a lack of communication as opposed to, you know, we all quote unquote say, you know, they don't understand. Well, they don't understand because we haven't communicated with them. And then when you talk about the community, you know, I think it's huge, especially at the high school level to touch base with younger levels, but all of it comes down to communication, creating clear expectations, being available, um, you know, offering up assistance to younger levels, making sure you're available to parents. Uh, you know, uh, I think one of the things that we've done that's been different is I am happy to talk about playing time. I'm happy to talk about anything parents want, uh, as long as they're accepting and understanding of the fact that we're going to do it in a certain way. And it's always going to be honest. Um, you know, and I was at Lakewood Ranch for 10 years. We did not have a single varsity rotation player transfer in 10 years. And I'm most proud of that because, again, it goes back to what we started on, which is communicating a plan. You know, uh, one of the things that's really big is it's not just when you're building a program, we often get lost in our maybe our particular team, like a varsity team. But a program is your entire JV, potentially your freshman. And one of the things that I think that really helped us a lot from a communication standpoint was communicating a future picture, like a future outlook. So we would meet with our best three or four sophomores or freshmen every year and their parents and talk about how college recruiting works and talk about what the vision was. So even though they maybe were playing on freshman or JV, they knew that if their kid did X, Y, and Z that was outlined for them, they would put themselves in a great opportunity to eventually have success. So I think the biggest thing is just that communication key and the ability to uh, not segment away from any of them. Say, oh, the community doesn't matter or the parents don't matter. I think it all matters. I think we have to be willing to communicate clearly uh, with each of those, uh, you know, each of those groups of people to have a successful program. I love the parent communication piece. How often was this something that you went about? Like, was it a, you know, some coaches have like a, a text thread or an email thread, or they say, you know, I'm going to make sure at the very least I'm communicating a certain amount of times with parents throughout the course of the year. What did that look like for you? So for me, it was, I think it's easier to just kind of use Lakewood Ranch as an example. IMG is its own dynamic with what we have to do communication wise. Um, but using Lakewood Ranch High School as an example, 
um, we, we would have multiple meetings. So like I would literally have a meeting in the summer as the incoming freshmen or any transfers were coming in, you know, anybody new. And I'd say, Hey, this is what our program's about. This is the outline of what the year looks like. This is what our expectations are related to being at practice, being at games. Like not everybody's built to be a, a Lakewood ranch Mustang basketball player. So if this isn't what you want to do, you don't want to keep your grades up. You don't want to participate uh, in, you know, whatever school activities, all that type of stuff, then, you know, find something else to do with your time now. So that's a meeting in, let's say June, then we would do whatever we're doing for summer basketball school year would start. We do another one early, like September to reestablish for new people, um, new players to the program and new parents. Hey, this is what we're doing. This is what it's like. Then we'd have another meeting after we made the team clearly outlining expectations. Uh, and then throughout the year, it really just depended uh, on, you know, different factors, what the kids were dealing with. But one of the things that we did was because we had clear and honest communication to start with, one of the areas that we most struggle with is the kids that aren't playing, you know, that's your group, right? Like, let's say we play eight kids. So nine, 10, 11, and 12 are not going to play. And we usually pretty much know it. Um, I would meet with the player and that parent to communicate these are the expectations, right? As we make the team and say, Hey, this is your opportunity. You can always work your way out of it, right? There's an ability to, these are the things your son needs to do, but I want to make sure we're all on the same page and not just the kid. Cause often the reason for transfers or, or frustration isn't the player. It's the parents not understanding what's going on for the kids that are in the rotation. I found that I didn't necessarily need to meet with them their parents to say, Hey, your kid's in the rotation. Uh, but if there was a necessity, if there's anything bubbling up, you know, we do that. Um, and then one of the things that we outlined that I think was really helpful with parent communication um, was we created standards for all of us. So our parents had an outline set of standards of how we're going to communicate in public, the way we're going to touch base and talk with the coach. We had standards and expectations for our coaching staff. So I was myself, my staff, we had to meet those. And then also the players. Um, so our parents, you know, we, we often had other coaches say, you know, how are your parents not kind of talking trash or inappropriately in your games? And well, the reality was we set that standard at the beginning that we're not going to do that, that we're all a family and we're going to stick together. And obviously none of it's perfect. You're going to have certain parents that are outliers, but I am a over communicator. I'm a, a nip things in the bud. I don't let things fester. Um, you know, if I, if I think a parent has an issue, I'll set up the meeting. If a parent has an issue, I, I would have them set up a meeting. And one of the things that was really valuable over the years is the parents would literally say to the parent that's frustrated in the crowd or frustrated somewhere else, have you talked to coach Schiller? And the answer is no, they go, well, why he's very accessible. You can text him, you can email him. You know, if you're really upset about it, set up a meeting and let's fix it. Otherwise, please stop talking to me about it kind of thing. And I, I think those things, again, that I never, um, I don't like to box myself in and say, I'm going to text everybody once a week or anything. For me, it's just not my personality. Um, I try to kind of gauge it. Each kid's a little different. Each year's a little different. Um, but consistently, I want to make sure the parents knew my, my lines of communication were open uh, within reason. You know, if someone texts me at 11 o'clock at night, I usually would purposely wait till the morning or other things just to establish like the rules of how we're going to communicate without boxing myself in. Some boundaries there. What's that? There's, there's some boundaries there still. Yeah, I have to have them. Um, and, and honestly, I'm comfortable talking to someone saying, hey, I used to tell parents one of the lines I would say all the time is if I'm talking to you more than I'm talking to your kid, this has gone wrong somewhere. You know, that in high school, especially your son needs to learn to be an advocate in this very safe environment for themselves. And, you know, if they don't if they're not if they're not willing to talk to me, it's not important enough to them. 
And that was always accessible to our players and our parents, um, except for obviously 24 hours after the game. We always do that kind of rule that I think you know, a lot of coaches do. And this is, this is so good. And, and there's a couple of things that you've mentioned that I just want to reiterate. You said reestablish. I think that that is something that I know I've made mistakes of in the past. And I know other coaches who have personally talked to me is that, you know, we had this conversation with this player or with this parent already. How come they don't get it? And, and, but reestablishing that line of communication, just because you had it six months ago or at the beginning of the season, listen, time's gone by. Things have changed. Things have happened. And so for what you broke down, reestablishing those standards and expectations throughout the course of the year, I think is huge, which goes back into something that you've also been saying a lot, which is the importance of being consistent with your communication throughout the course of the year. And these expectations that you have don't just apply to the player. You have expectations for parents and for coaches, which I absolutely love. And then the last thing that you mentioned that I, I really love is the, the coaches and the parents should have this line of communication, right? But at the same time, it's not always the parent's job. And I hope there's some parents listening to this. It's not always the parent's job to go to the coach for whatever reason. Just like that one parent was saying to the other, have you spoken to coach? It's just as vital for us as parents to say to our players, if there is an issue, well, have you spoken to coach? You see that your coach basically every day at basketball practice, you have their phone number. It's extremely easy for you to touch base with coach Schiller or whoever that coach is. Say, coach, can we chat for a little bit? I want to talk about X, Y, and Z, whatever it might be. And you're saving everybody a lot of time, stress, and energy when you do things like that. But it all comes back to consi uh, consistent communication and, and being open for people being willing to, to share themselves. And maybe it's hearing something they don't want to hear, saying something that may be a little tough, uh, but that's going to save everyone uh, a lot of time and energy in the long run. In the early meetings, that's one of the things that I would always say is like, we're going to do our communication through the player. It's their job to let mm -hmm. you know, this is our calendar and schedule. This is when I need rides. And I used to tell parents all the time, if you find out something last minute, uh, more than likely your son has not, you know, has done something wrong. So <laughs> once we established that, when a parent would say, I found out last night, they would see on the top of the paper that the date was from three weeks earlier, or the text messages was from three weeks earlier. And once they see that consistently, they realize maybe their maybe their kid is the one that needs to mature into communicating. And I tell parents, you know, this is a good thing. Like teenage boys don't like to talk to their parents. It's the nature of the beast. Um, we need to establish where they learn to take care of the responsibility because it's their responsibility. Um, the other thing when you talked about, you know, we were talking about, I think it's important to when when I was communicating with our parents, often I would have an athletic director in with me or my administration. So they knew what was going on. So if at any point our 12th guy was complaining to my AD, my AD would already have been in on that conversation. So like, you know, AD can just kind of, kind of squash it and say, listen, we had a meeting in August. Coach explained exactly what your role would be. You were excited and accepted it and coaches followed through. Why are we having a conversation? So I had a lot of times where my admin was uh, very appreciative of our level of communication because it made their job, you know, easier as well, which makes, makes it easier because parents realize they can't go complain to an AD or a boss and 
you know, kind of get you fired or something else that unfortunately in this generation, that stuff happens. If we communicate ahead of time and we're prepared ahead of time, it eliminates those conversations from even happening. Mm-hmm. Another very important person within the program to be communicating with consistently is the AD. And I, I want to talk about some of those other important people as well, being your coaches and your coaching staff. So as you think about developing and, and building this program, you have your assistant coaches on the varsity team and you got your JV and your freshman coaches. What are some of the pieces of advice that you would give other coaches to really develop and communicate to them so that everyone is rowing in the right direction? It's funny you use that term. Uh, A couple of years ago, I was going to be speaking at something and uh, I had a coach ask me, like, how do you get everyone in your program to do the same thing? And and one of my players, I asked one of my senior captains, I said, why do you guys do what I tell you to do? And, you know, why do you? pass why do you show up on time why do you do what I tell you to do and they said that that I did a great job of making sure everyone was rolling in the same direction so every time I hear that I always <laughs> think of that uh Evan Spiller one of our seniors I think graduated in 2018 so it was a little while ago but um you know I think when you're looking at establishing a staff I think there's some factors um the biggest one I always said is I wanted better people than basketball coaches I would take a guy that was a genuinely like just a super quality person over someone that maybe was awesome with X and O's, but wasn't great at connecting with the kids. Um, And then I think you have multiple different types of coaches, right? So some of your coaches want to be head coaches one day. So then it becomes my job to develop them. Sometimes you have like staff that just love being around the kids and want to be involved. And so you create roles for them that fit their interest. Um, You know, and then other times, you know, you kind of have guys that you pull into the mix because they add value in other areas. Maybe they're a football coach, so they help you connect with football. Maybe they're a youth league coach who helps you connect with youth league. And as long as their character lines up with the character and standards of the program, they can add value even if maybe they don't know how to teach how to read a down screen or something else. Um, You know, then I think those those character traits as far as like our kids needed to be on time, the coaches have to be on time. If our kids are going to be committed, our coaches have to be committed. When I first took over Lakewood Ranch, I actually had to get rid of our JV coach because I went in and showed him our summer schedule. And he said, I don't do anything over the summer. And, you know, I had to leave for a second to understand because like all the programs I'd been in, of course, we're doing stuff over the summer. And so we ended up, you know, fortunately, we we're able to reestablish our relationship. But I had to, we, you know, we had to move on because if we're going to expect kids to show up all summer, coaches have to be there. Now, over time, obviously, coaches have families, there's other things. So sometimes those things would become flexible, but kids had to know that you were like all in, you know, and, and, and that's something that's just really important. But again, I, I think a, my, for me with my staff, and that was just my preference. I would rather have guys that were super high character than great basketball guys. And I was fortunate at Lakewood Ranch to have a mixture of both uh, young guys that were really excited and wanted to become head coaches one day and guys that were a little more veteran, with a little more experience. I just love being a part of the program and added a ton of value, both in their character and in their basketball uh, experience and knowledge. Um, but if I had a choice, I'd take character over basketball every day, all day. Every day, all day. Um, love it. Coach, another thing that you mentioned in some of our emails was the importance of fundraising. And I know that is a, a real pain point for a lot of high school basketball coaches that love the kids love basketball. Hey, that's what I want to do. But money is an aspect of how we can really provide our players with, whether it's jerseys or extra basketball opportunities, sports trips, what types of things have been useful for you when it comes to 
developing funds for your program? So I think first thing is mindset, right? Like I hear coaches say stuff like, oh, I don't want to do that. And they're the same coach that gets mad when their kid doesn't want to show up to do weights. So the reality is like, we all have to do things we don't want to do because it's better for the program. And I think like, again, when we go back to the original discussions, like, yeah, I'm, I don't love fundraising, but I do love that our kids have the best gear and that we get to have these great experiences. So the reality is like, I got to swallow that pill the same way. Maybe a kid doesn't want to show up for 730 weights on a Saturday. Like at the end of the day, like, if we're going to get on our kids for doing that stuff, we've got to model it by saying, hey, guys, I don't love fundraising, but I love you guys. And I'm going to make sure we get it done. And this is how we're going to do it. Um, you know, I, I and obviously our attitude towards it is huge. So I think every school is different. Um, you know, I was at a higher demographic high school. So people thought it was easy. But when I took over, we were negative five hundred dollars. When I left and got the new job, we had over fifty thousand dollars in our account. So like it's easy to say, oh, you're at a rich school, but like literally negative $500 a day I walked in. Um, and then uh, that was because we, we owed money on something I didn't even do. So uh, needless to say, when we left, we kind of left the place better than we found it. Um, I think fundraising comes down a lot to your relationships with the parents and the community. So when we started doing fundraising, we do it through our kids. Say, hey guys, you got to raise $100 or whatever. And then you realize in our community, the kids would either just skip it and hope that you forgot as well. Or they would walk over to their parents and ask for a check. Hey, I need a check for $100 when that wasn't what was said. So instead, over the years, what we came up with that worked really well for us is we basically created an a la carte uh, menu of options that parents could do based on what they were comfortable with. So we had one was we did a free throw shoot-a-thon where the quickest way to describe it is kids would eventually, uh, basically get either a flat donation or they would get um, – like a per free throw donation. We'd shoot hundred free throws. You make 80, it's a dollar free throw. Somebody give you $80 and just flat donation. Um, then we did a snap raise. There's a number of other companies where you could send out kind of emails and things online. We did, uh, we had a digital, we took one of our old scores table. My athletic director at the time did built this, but you know, those um, digital scores tables where they have like TVs in them. We actually built one out of our old one. So my AD at the time loved woodwork. He spent a summer. He raised the box up. We put two 65-inch TVs in our uh, in our scores table. And so basically we would connect the PowerPoint. We'd sell those ads for a certain amount. And then what we would do is we'd come up with a realistic amount based on our budget. And all the parents had to get there. So we would start communicating about fundraising in uh, in the first meeting over the summer. They wouldn't start fundraising, but hey, this is some of the stuff that we do. And we're a family and we're going to help you guys figure out how to get to the, the number that we agree that, you know, that we need for that year for budgeting. Then when we have the first meeting in September, we would say, hey, you don't have to start fundraising because if you don't make the team, obviously, you're not going to get your money back like it's. But if you want to start, here's the beginning stages of this is the form to do this. This is our free throw shoot on. And then, you know, at the meeting, once they make the team, like you have two weeks to get this done. Um, within that, try to be very available to help parents. I think the worst thing you can do is make them act like it's their problem, even though at the end of the day, you're really asking for them to help out. Um, and honestly, when parents would come to me with problems, they'd say, coach, I, you know, we can't get there. I say, Hey, can you, on the, I knew I would know where they live. Hey, on your way home, can you swing through this, uh, you know, mall complex, stop at a few businesses and see if you can get it done. And they'd stop and they'd get both, you know, they get donations and they'd move on and they'd be done. Um, so I think part of it is, yes, it's a parent's responsibility. We want to be there to support them. And I think the other thing that happens when parents, 
you know, players, coaches are all involved in the fundraising, uh, it creates a little more ownership because they've put, you know, some skin in the game. Um, and when we had kids that were like from poor backgrounds, whose parents really struggled to communicate with businesses and other things, like maybe they didn't hit the number, but they tried a hundred percent. We're going to support them if I had to cut that check out of my own pocket um, to make sure. And then the other thing is our parents could see where the fundraising dollars were going when we traveled and everything that we did, whether it was having the best year or traveling out of state in state we traveled like a small college so when we went they didn't need any money they didn't have to worry about hotel for the players they didn't worry about hotels they didn't worry about anything so parents could say okay we see where you know that money's going it's not okay i'm fundraising and now like where where where's that money going you know where what is that going towards our parents very clearly could do that and the other thing they understood was some of it was going to go to our coaches because you know we had six coaches on staff and in the county I was in we had three stipends so obviously three guys need to get paid and they're sacrificing their time for their you know their their kids um so we you know one off we might have an issue with fundraising uh but in general uh, all the parents really stepped up and got it done obviously my my second to last year that was covid year was a little harder uh but parents still stepped up and we worked together and were able to still you know achieve those those goals and make sure that the kids had a you know a great experience I love it. And, and coaches, feel free to rewind back the last five minutes or so. Coaches gave some some great ideas of it. You, know, you talk about the basketball being a team. You're hitting fundraising the same way. This is a team effort from the coaches, the parents, and the players involved. I love the free throw shoot-a-thon. That's a great one. Um, I had a friend of mine who was in a lower demographic area, and they had very similar to um, the text email fundraising thread, and they they had like a 12 hour window for this fundraiser and they raised $6,000 in 12 hours. And all it was, was the parents and the kids sending emails and texts out and it went donations through this app. And they're like, Oh, we went from a same as you negative fund to, Hey, we made 6,000 bucks in 12 hours. And it wasn't selling coupons to the local subway or something like that. Nothing against subway. Um, they got some good stuff there. With this behind, you talked a little bit about the community involvement. I think that starts with, with the parents and then it builds from there. What are some of the ways that you're able to build interest, build backing in the basketball program itself? So first, I do want to touch on one thing with fundraising that I didn't mention that I think is important. I think making sure that we're really efficient and focus on no overhead. I think sometimes we get caught like trying to sell socks trying to sell something and we end up getting uh, kind of beat up on it. It's really important that when you're, you're looking at doing fundraisers, fundraisers, you want to try to make sure that you find stuff that puts you at, uh, there's no way you're going to get injured on it. Even if we struggle and we, we do poorly at the free throw shoot on, you don't lose any money. There's no cost. Um, really important in fundraising. As far as like getting the community back your program, I think, I think it's, you know, an all encompassing thing. Uh, you know, for, for me, I tried to be available and connect with our media outlets, uh, really connected with our newspapers. Uh, anytime they needed anything, we always helped them. Anytime they said, you have a story idea, I sent them no matter what. Um, you know, eventually over time, I would, I would cue them in on not only our program, but other programs, because I felt like the better basketball was uh, communicated in our area, the better it was for our program and our kids too. And then I think it just becomes an all-around thing, right? So we have our youth camps. We go out and get in the community and, and fundraise. So businesses are getting attached to our program. 
uh, within the community, our kids were good kids. I think that was really important. You know, people would respect like our kids were some of the top academic students in the whole school. Well, like that creates, you know, a positive energy to it. And then did a few things where we partnered with businesses. So like we would have Domino's pizza. They would actually donate pizzas at some of our games, like bigger games. And we would literally just give away free pizza. So we'd say, everybody's there at seven o'clock. There's going to be free pizza. And that would make kids come out. Well, it also helped Domino's because then kids think Domino's when they go to pizza. So trying to create business partnerships, I think is really important. Um, and a lot of times your parents either know someone that has a business uh, or you you go consistently to a business and you say, hey, my son plays on X, Y, and Z team. We want to connect with you. I think often the first step should be focusing on the building of the relationship. And then the second step is kind of the fundraising part of it or the activity part of it. Um, businesses are a little happier to do that. But when you start looking at it and the kids are out in the community doing good things, you're running camps, you're out doing fundraising, you know, depending on the size of your community, you start to build up a positive reputation that other people want to be a part of it. Um, but I think like anything else, it takes time. Um, and I don't think there's a magic pill. And again, it goes back consistency and character. Um, not that I get along with every single person in Lakewood Ranch, but there's not very many people that would be able to say negative things about me related to like my character and how I carried myself. They may not agree to who I subbed in and out of a game or what offense or defense I call, but at least, you know, I have a consistency in character. And I think that's important, you know, for coaches um, that the community recognizes and sees that. And, and everyone respects when you're doing a lot for kids, you know, the more we can make it about them uh, because that's what it really is about the easier it is for others to support it, get behind it in the community. I absolutely, absolutely love it. And uh, one thing I wanted to add was social media can be uh, something that can be really positive or really negative. And in a coaching case, being able to utilize social media because people in the community are on it, parents are on it, players are on it. And so from that standpoint, it's never been easier to promote your basketball team the upcoming games, uh, the results, successes of certain players, or, you know, not a lot of people are showing up for the freshman game, but Hey, you can give them a lot of love on Facebook or Twitter and say, Hey, our freshman team is nine and two uh, halfway through the season. Like come out and check out their game. There's so many different avenues that we can try to reach other people uh, to gain some of that interest, to support the program, to follow the program, to come to games, to learn some things that they may not have known, even if they are coming to the games because of different resources that we have literally at, at our fingertips. Uh, I think that's also a great way to, you want to find touch points, right? What are the different touch points that we can communicate with people? How can we get to them in different ways so that I can get you to think about Lakewood Ranch basketball, even though we don't have a game and it's April on a Thursday night at 9 PM, but I can give you an update. And now you're thinking, Oh, the basketball team, right. And you're, you're a little more likely to support them. I think those are uh, huge things for us to try to implement. I had a, I was at a basketball game in Columbus a couple of weeks ago and I happened to turn my phone on and record the last play of the game because the team was down by two with three seconds left. They had to go the length of the court. And I was like, you know what? I never turned my phone on. I'm going to turn my phone on, like just in case something crazy happens. They run an unbelievable out of bounds play. They ran a four player stack because the ball, you know how it is coach when you're running a play and a lot of times you design it clean, right? We're, we're on the baseline. We got to go the length of the court, three seconds. Well, the ball had been deflected. And so they were on the sideline, like back deep sideline. 
not a play that most people practice, right? They run a beautiful play, four stack at the top of the key. They run one guy through coming back to the opposite wing. Another guy circles through to the, the strong side wing. And then another guy circles through to the top of the key area. Guy bombs it down. Kid literally catches it at about 30 feet, turns in the air. Boom, buzzer goes off, switch to the shot. Anyway, long story short, I recorded this video, right? I posted it on, on Twitter, tagged their basketball team, and it got like, I don't know, five or 10,000 views or, or whatever, just from some random guy coming to the game. But the interest that you're able to build through social media in positive ways is, uh, is really exciting. But you have to be able to give yourself an opportunity to be out there by, you know, have a Facebook page, have a Twitter handle, have an Instagram page, things of, things of that nature. So apologies if I talk too long about that. I just think there's so many good ways that we can touch people um, in uh, different ways of communication. I was just going to say, I, I, I didn't bring it up, but social media is huge. I, I like the ones where it's a, like Twitter. Uh, we were on Twitter. I didn't do the Instagram or Facebook, but I did establish a Twitter account. And then we would do things to help like get ads of kids. Like we would do things like T-shirt giveaways during the day. The first person to retweet or like senior night, I would put the baby pictures up. And like the first person that guessed who the baby was mm-hmm. would get it. So you start mm-hmm. to build those relationships. And like you said, you 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 put up highlights of your kids that maybe maybe don't get the college interest that others do. And then everybody likes it and retweets it. And, mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of things that you can do with social media. I think the biggest thing, though, too, and I feel like I keep going back to it, but like then we have the responsibility to make sure what we're not only like liking and retweeting is positive, but making sure we don't get caught up in anything negative. So, like, if I ever see someone talk trash or something else, like, and I have an opinion on it, I don't have an opinion publicly because my responsibility is to my program. And I think that's where sometimes we all get caught up going back and forth. Like at the end of the day, like using it as the platform, like you said, to give information, to create connection with the community, but then you got to make sure that you are presenting yourself in a way that someone would want to stay connected to you. So you just be above it all. You don't have to deal with any of that stuff that's negative and just ignore it uh, and never interact. I agree. There's a huge difference between creating and consuming. And I find a lot of times when we are consuming, that's when a lot of the negativity can can come in. It can be easy to to react maybe when we shouldn't. Um, Coach, it's the end of February. We're diving into March. What are some tips that you would give another high school basketball coach as they're preparing for the postseason and really the stretch around of the year? You know, I, I think the biggest thing, and, and we were fortunate at Lake Ranch to have a number of years of success. Uh, I think the thing is making sure that you and your players really enjoy the journey. Uh, you know, focus on your preparation. You're focusing on what you have to get done. Uh, but at the end of the day, like uh, I used to tell people all the time, and, and I had a conversation last night. We had our coaches meeting with uh, actually with Ryan Cardock, who we talked about, uh, you know, we have a uh, mutual relationship. We were talking about it. And I just said to me, I always use communicate to our guys. Like this is a favorite time of the year as a coach. Cause like everybody brings it in the playoffs. You're not going to not play hard. Um, so the, the ones that stress me out is a game you think you're going to win by 30 and you know, that your kids don't aren't mentally focused. Um, but I think the biggest tip is to make sure you enjoy the journey you know, fortunate enough to go all the way to a state championship in the second largest classification in Florida. And like the relationships with those kids and the experiences and all the stuff that we got to enjoy was far more important. And fortunate for me, that was my second final four. Um, And the first one went by like a whirlwind. And the second one, I really tried to step back 
and really focus on saying, man, this is a great opportunity, a once in a lifetime potentially thing where we get to experience it and focus on the fact that like, that's the last time the team will be together like that. You're always going to have a senior or someone, you know, those things happen and just really enjoy the journey and focus on that and make it uh, so much about the kids enjoying the experience and not the win and loss of the game. I think that takes care of itself, you know, through your work ethic and preparation. Some great tidbits right there. As we finish out the podcast, coach, um, I'm sure like all of us, success doesn't happen alone. And there's a lot of people in our lives that have helped shape us and guide us into the person that we are today, the person that we continue to strive to, to become always trying to improve. Who is someone in your life that has made a positive coaching impact on you? And what is that one or two things that you've really taken away from them and applied to your coaching? So that one's a little tougher. Um, (laughs) First thing to establish. So I, my grandma taught first grade for 35 years. um, And fortunately she was in my life for, you know, 30 of my years. Um, She had a huge impact on kind of the understanding of creating a culture and having a a program, you know, she taught first grade and and I used to remember like, you know, you talk about long-term impact. She had been retired for let's say almost 20 years and we would go to a grocery store and people would literally stop us because they got to see their first grade teacher that taught them how to read. And it's like, they would tell, you know, I'm nine or something at the time. And they're explaining how, like, you know, you are the reason I'm so successful. And I think seeing that as a kid really shaped, like, you know, what I do on the day-to-day in teaching and coaching needs to be a lifelong impact. You know, it's, it, it, those things are a lot, a lot more important. Uh, fortunate to have uh, two amazing parents, uh, both extremely hard workers and successful in what they did. And I think, Day to day, I saw them live what they told us to do. Uh, fortunate to live in a house. My parents never lied to me. They never didn't show up. They were just, uh, you know, both great. Marge and Gene Schiller, like they just are the best at what they did. And it led me thinking that's what you're supposed to do. So I, I appreciate that. And then from a coaching standpoint, uh, Mark Herman, who is my high school coach, uh, really helped with program building, you know, watching the way that he connected with the community, we had Jordan Brand when other people didn't because he knew that that would make kids think, man, I want to go to Brandon High School. Um, those things shaped. And he gave me my first job, so I got to – I think that's important. I was a 19-year-old kid, and I was a JV assistant coach. Uh, so that opportunity was great. And then uh, I was fortunate to work for um, Tom Ryan at Eckerd College. And, again, I think he's probably uh, the best I've ever seen at building and maintaining relationships with his players. Um, and I, I spent as an adult, I used to say this all the time as an adult, you don't often find people you look up to. Um, and during my, my time with him, I, I looked up to him and how he still do. I'm amazed by how he was able to establish and, and maintain his relationships with all of his players. And, you know, I hope that I, I'm able to do that, you know, for my guys, you know, as well. That's an awesome way to finish out the podcast coach. I love hearing different players, different coaches and, and their story, some of their coaching journey. So I just appreciate you taking the time to be on the Coach's Edge podcast. Uh, I know this was a long time coming with, with our interview, and it's a really busy time of year uh, for you, and you're about to head to, to South Carolina for a tournament. So I wish you the best of luck there. Uh, so thank you for checking this out, uh, for being a guest on the Coach's Edge, and I'll leave the last words to you. I just thank you so much for having me. I hope that, you know, I was able to uh, to help with anything that I said. You know, I, I think the biggest thing with all this stuff is people have to figure out what fits for them and how they want to build their culture within a certain framework. Uh, the other thing is hopefully when you communicate this, I'd like, 
you know, I'll give it to you, but my, my email, uh, my phone number, if people feel like they want to ask or dive deeper into what we're doing, like to me, I look at our coaching as a brotherhood and, and an environment where we should all be helping each other out. So if there's, you know, anything that someone heard that they think they could add, you know, and help, I would love that. If there's anything that someone heard and they want more information on, I'd like to really be available and, you know, hopefully that we can all, you know, uh, pass it along. And I, I appreciate you taking the time to do this with me. And, and uh, it was a lot of fun. If you ever need me on again, I'd be happy to do it. Sure. We'll have to have you come back on and, and touch base on a, another topic. And I'll be sure to put for our listeners, I'll be sure to put Coach Schiller's uh, Twitter handle on there. That's where I reached out to him. I uh, was on, was on Twitter. You can find him there and follow a little bit of what they have going on uh, at IMG Academy as well. So uh, co- to all our coaches out there, thank you for, for listening. Certainly appreciate you ta- taking the time to listen on a very busy time of year. Uh, we definitely understand that and appreciate that and continue to take some of the t- um, tidbits that coach mentioned. It's about the kids. It's about relationships. Be consistent. Be honest and continue to build your program from the ground up much more than a single season. You want to build relationships and develop so that your program is successful year in and year out. And that you can be like Coach Schiller's grandma. She's making an impact with kids that are they're meeting them at the grocery store 20 years later talking about, man, Jeremy, your grandma made such an impact on me because of the person that she was in first grade. I mean, that's huge because my daughter's in first grade right now. So I'm, I'm thinking of that. That's hitting home for me right now. You want your, pe- you want your people, your players, your kids to be around other people that are going to leave a positive impact on them, leave them better than they were before, whether that's for a year, whether it's for five years, 10 years, whatever that is. And uh, Coach did a great job explaining that. So, Coaches, thank you for listening to Coach's Edge podcast. Appreciate you. Thanks again, and uh, get after it today.